How do you begin this one? It's December 18th, 2014. Welcome to This Is Only Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Cue music. I'm Will. Uh, we usually don't introduce ourselves this we, way. It's yeah. a special edition of this podcast because we're uh, in a basement under the Nokia Theater with Adam. We're in my dressing room where yes. tonight I will perform the penultimate show of the Behind the Myths Tour Fall uh, 2014 tour. So this is like tour stop 120-ish lifetime I think, I think probably? We, I think we've done, yeah, 120, 130 of these shows around the world over the past three and a half years. Um, and tomorrow night we'll finish in San Jose. Oh, hometown. And then I go home that night for the first time in five weeks. Wow. This is, so you travel a lot, but this is the most consecutive travel you do. Like this, this specific, like you went to Australia for about a month earlier this year. Five weeks in Australia this summer, Australia, New Zealand. So that was Sydney, Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Auckland, and Wellington, all in five weeks. Home of the boots. And then uh, over the past five, four weeks here in the United States, we've gone through Philadelphia, Massachusetts, Canada, Ontario, through, uh, goodness gracious, uh, Chicago, down through Arizona, Texas, up through California. Yeah, this has been 26 shows in 22 cities in like 25 days. So, um, well, we're not going to, there's not a ton of tech news this week. So we're taking advantage of the fact that Norm and I are in LA here to see the, to see the second to last show and, um, just kind of, we had meetings, we had, we had meetings and then there was a holiday party. That's what happens in LA. You have meetings. It's the week before Christmas. Um, so nothing's happening in the real world. Um, although there is some news. Did you see the Sony pictures stuff? It's so I have some very specific reactions to the Sony pictures stuff. We talked a little bit about last week, and Will brought up a very good point about uh, why is it okay for people to, you know, look at this stuff and then some of this stuff and, and, and revel in it and profit then, massively in some cases. Oh, as news organizations or tabloid journalism, or, you know, even legitimate journalism, yeah, yeah. it's an attention grabber, but not okay when celebrities get other private information hacked. Well, so released. I mean, what we're talking about is the fappening. Right, we're comparing sure. it to the fappening, and yes. with the fappening, which is the hacking of female celebrities' uh, private phone accounts, iCloud accounts, they got a yeah. ton of saucy nude, pictures, they got selfie nude pictures. Right. Now, I think culturally, it became very quickly agreed among people that it's not okay to go look at Jennifer Hudson's Lawrence, yeah. Lawrence. Jennifer what Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence's yeah. sorry, Jennifer Lawrence's uh, you know, private photos, private photos, and that. It's, I mean, and I think we all agree why and that that's not cool. It's an intense violation of, of privacy. And it's genuine harassment it, and, yeah. The, the, one, the one positive thing that came out of that was that you didn't see, I mean, you definitely saw some, but you didn't see a lot of, well, it's her fault for making these pictures in the first place, which is what I expected the reaction would be. Yeah, there's, and, and there's I thought a that small was, minority, that, but that's a bullshit argument. I so thought it was a really nice positive change that, like, she can do whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Don't be a dick, basically. Well, I mean, and I think what's, yeah. And there were certainly scumbag websites that 
posted well, and, and even <laughs> and even initial, I mean, and entire communities online that posted it, and even legitimate organizations that knew that they would take it down eventually, but they yeah. did it anyway. Initially, but I mean, up until then, the celebrity nude was the white rhino of of you know nude pictures on the web. They were rare, few and far between, and so it was sort of noteworthy and under the under the carpet when it happened. But once it became you know this massive dump, then actually we can have as a culture a genuinely important discussion about what is and isn't okay in terms of privacy and violating people's private space. Well, and I think it became. I was gratified to see that it seemed to become quite clear that that was a violation on the right side of, yeah. of things. I mean, and and it's been a. I mean, that's the thing that I remember first hearing as a as a kid. When like some paparazzi shot topless photos of Princess Diana on right. a beach in in Europe, I think I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, and they ran in the paper, and the Crown sued the paper, and the paper ceased to exist or paid insurance. I can't remember the outcome yeah, of that. Yeah. But but this seems like the natural conclusion of of that whole thing. So the Sony Pictures hack, which we talked about last week, we don't need to get into the details. But presumably, someone that is loosely associated with North Korea. Um, that might not be the case anymore. I'm going to continue to There's things happening right. even happening as we speak right so, now. But what's, now. what's been most fascinating about the Sony Pictures hack, I mean, I have been following it very closely. I've been reading the stories on Deadline, on Gawker. Gawker's been completely unapologetic about publishing every story they can. Gawker is always unapologetic about yes. publishing every story they can. That's if you... If you're and, okay with Gawker, you have to be okay with that. And I started to, it started to sink into me, I guess the fourth or fifth, oh no, I was reading the stuff between Amy Pascal and Scott Rudin. About mm -hmm. Angelina Jolie. About everybody, yeah. just their whole conversation and thinking, you know, you just know that these conversations happen like this all the time. Amy, yeah, I personally feel like some of these folks should know better. I feel like Scott Rudin is writing as if he expects his words to be read at some point. I, I'm sure he's. This is all going in the <laughs> memoir, right? Right. Um, but there is. It does beg the important question of like, why is everyone just all of a sudden they're sending these documents out and everyone's just reading them and talking about them instead of having a discussion like, is that okay? I mean, we, we've these are private yeah. conversations. I mean, so, so some of them, there have been funny things. The thing about Joel McHale's TV. That's that is an entertaining Hollywood anecdote. It is. It is um, relatively harmless. Channing Tatum's lovely letter of success when Twenty Two Jump Street did really well right. on its opening weekend. Right. Those are. But again, it's so, not as simple as taking the good with the bad because when you're looking at these private communications that are actually significantly impacting mm -hmm. Sony's bottom line, entire batches of scripts, unfinished scripts being released to the public, like the James Bond um, negotiations and discussions about stars. That like, look, I know as as a talent on a network that there are things that people at the network say about me that I don't ever want to hear. I know that some of them harbor opinions about me that I don't necessarily think are right, but we don't need to have that laundry aired. Right. It doesn't do a culture good to have no bars to... Yeah, and, and one of the consensus that we came to last week was that, at least in public perception-wise, the difference, at least with the celebrity private photos, and here, with the cor it's, it's a co the corporate versus the private individual. Well, but and the everybody hates movie studios, and they love Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Like that's... that's but, I mean, there's, a, there's an aspect of... There's, an actual, uh, there's a complete aspect of sexual harassment with the nude photos that I think takes it way out of the realm of reading private emails between... Scott Rudin and Amy Pascal. And that takes it down to a very personal level when also there are now 
uh, some assumptions and uh, thoughts that this could be a very targeted against like individuals like like Amy Pascal, right. and that's why only her information is being released. Well, but it's not because I mean I, I read a wonderful interview where she finally spoke out about it to Deadline a few days ago, and she said, and I thought this was great. She said, "I'm not the victim here. I'm going to be fine." The victims are the employees of Sony mm -hmm. that have their social security numbers and their salaries and their personal home addresses and emails all spread out on the web without any. Now, it's very interesting to me, Sony's now retained David Boyce, mm -hmm. who defended Bush v. Gore and also helped pass the uh, def strike down the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, at least at the Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco. Um, to send letters to companies, news organizations saying, we consider these private communications, stop publishing them. And I'm I'm not sure where this is going to end up. But yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to be successful. You can't put a genie like that back in the I don't the think model. it's good either way, though. Like, if, if, if a court rules on this, it's bad no matter which way it goes, right? Because one way stifles free speech and the other way... So let's talk about it from a global level. I think it's all... I think it's all... I think it's all good in that it actually makes the cultural discussion of privacy, it puts it on a real level. Right up till now, when we talk about backdoors at Google or Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, this massive swath of the population is like, as long as you don't have anything to hide, why should you worry about the government snooping? Which is the most idiotic argument about privacy that there can be. Right. And now with this, people are like, oh, right, I wouldn't want what I say to my compadre in the company to be read by my boss or by my mm -hmm. subordinates. Well, you should assume that's going to happen. You should. I mean, should. if you work it's in a true. private company. Everybody should. I, I read, one of the things I read about as, and part of this is that at Google, it's not allowed to discuss corporate policy by email, ever. They stopped that after they got subpoenaed on, the, on um, I want to say, the Apple stuff three well, years and, ago, four you know, years that's, ago. That's... That is, there so are things that are only for phone calls or face-to-face -face right. discussions. Well, Policies will change on the corporate level, uh, the cultural, the personal, individual practices are going to change. Um, but also our perception of what is right, this is what, the big where thing. we draw the line, right. and what we consider to be a bona fide fence. On the front line of that is the, are the journalists, and I use some of that use it in you know, quotes, who are, are reading everything, and then they're saying they're making the quote-unquote difficult choices in what's released, because they feel like, I know that they don't, it's not the same as you know, the fappening, but they see some of it as you know a rights crusade for like inequities in income, for example. They want to report of on course. that stuff. Oh, don't, I mean, when I read that Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams got 7% of the gross of American Hustle as opposed to the males and the director all getting 9%, right. that's fucked up. It's that's, real. That's totally messed up. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's happening. I think here, it's less messed up for Je Jennifer Lawrence than it is for Amy Adams. Jennifer Lawrence was in a supporting it's, role, it's, and Amy Adams I, was in. It's it's true, both nominated. Two, what, what those two contributed oh. to that film? I'm sorry, but it's Are, like it's, I, I agree. So, but anyway, but yeah. the, that aside. I think that what's happening is you end up with a massive number of bottom feeders releasing these stories where if it was literally left up to Variety, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, I think some of those papers might get together and be like, yeah, we shouldn't publish some of this. Or stuff. they have accountability in-house. They have systematically things in place to make sure they're reporting it in response. But as soon as you have all of these bottom feeder sites publishing everything, then it becomes a conversation and that's, it, it is news because it's a conversation that's happening. So I saw, and I'm going to go check and make sure the camera's still going, but um, I saw on Romesco's site, which is a media watch, watchdog blog. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're still good. He, 
they, the New York Times, there was a, a memo that said, hey, don't open these emails. Right. Reporters. So I think what they're, I, I haven't, I don't read the New York Times regularly enough to know if they're actually reporting on this. I assume that they have to be, but I assume that they're reporting on other people's reporting rather than doing frontline reporting themselves. It also speaks to, you know, when you say bottom feeders, it's, you, there's a class of media that, you know, it, but, it also speaks to the difference in what media is now. Also, like New York Times and a Variety yes, and, and Deadline, it totally does. they they are in a position where they are competing, yep. and they have to find a middle ground. Probably and there are and compromises. When I say bottom feeders, I'm of course taking the stance of that the Times is traditional media. Yes, that, exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's that's debatable. Have you seen the? I mentioned this on the podcast last week. Have you seen uh, the TV show Black Mirror? No. Uh, it's a British I, show. It's fantastic. It's like Twilight Zone. Um, one-hour shows, yeah. individual stories, uh, but about the digital age, very specifically. The black mirror is the screen that is our oh, reflection. Right, right, right. Um, and the very first episode, I'm going to the main plot point, but there is a very real discussion about you know stories that are trending on Twitter and versus a story that a traditional broadcast news organization needs to vet. And it's something that I right. guess the newsroom had, had touched That's on. That's what the newsroom yeah. is about. Right, and, 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 yeah. and it's a real problem for them. So then, okay, so let's take a step further back. How is this different from the Snowden leaks and the WikiLeaks stuff from two or three years ago and what Glenn oh, Greenwald and all those guys are doing? I, I, this, I, yeah. I, just to be clear, right. this is not a feeling that I personally have. I'm devil's advocate because no, no, I don't no. want to get So, hate. I mean, Snowden, Snowden very clearly felt that uh, a, 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 you know, a publicly funded government organization exceeded its mandate by such a degree as to threaten the fabric of what makes us a functioning democracy. And in the same way that Ellsberg released the, the Pentagon Papers and was also threatened with treason and jail time, etc., but decided to basically give up his life if he had to in order to make these things public, Snowden that made the same exact choice. So in this case, it's a public good. It is a totally, the, the public good totally, is, exceeds the. And I think the that the discussion that we've had since privacy. then has only has only benefited us. And, and the victims that he was trying to protect and make aware of these violations were the public. Yes, and, and to that end, he was very specifically not publishing the name of active agents and vetting the material to make sure they weren't releasing information that could compromise people in the field right. or harm them. And then they did that again on the newspaper level as well. They did before they released stuff. So yeah. it was, it was multi I mean, it wasn't obviously as comprehensive as if the NSA censor had gone through and blacked out everything they didn't want us to see. I mean, and plus I think it. that if somebody went to the New York Times and said, "I have a hundred gigabytes of internal emails from Sony," the New York Times would be like, "So what? Please go away. Yeah. That's not that's not what we traffic in." But imagine now that every large corporation with you know thousands of employees is now going to its IT department and saying. How do we prevent this from happening? I, I and the IT departments today. are all going, we're so glad that you are finally asking us this question. <laughs> Give us Here, 20 to $50 million, depending on the size of the company. And, you're, yeah. It's going to get more complicated to send email for a while, but here's what's going to be required. Well, well, and I mean, there's a there was a quote, one of the first things that came out after this hack was made public was a quote by the CIO of Sony Pictures that said, look, we can't spend $10 million on IT security. We have to do, you know, we have to make do with less. An old quote. An old, An old quote. quote. Right. Yeah. And 
clearly that policy has changed. Well, now it's now what's been made clear is that it absolutely does affect the bottom line, and Sony Pictures may lose hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in, in, in very soft ways that are hard to quantify. And in very hard ways, I mean, Amy Pascal may lose her job. People, I mean, they're going to lose people at the lower levels, too, who are going to quit and go someplace else, because mm-hmm. presumably a lot of them have been sitting on their asses for two weeks while they have nothing to do. And there's now a whole class action yep. suit being filed by former employees mm-hmm. whose data got breached and put out there. It's, right. That's all, I mean, there's all, the fact that they were storing employee data in unencrypted open spreadsheets. But uh, it, this really one bad HR person can, can yeah, cause totally true. millions of dollars of liability Again, for any no, company. That, yeah. It's a problem that's, I mean, technology seen as a magic bullet has helped businesses in the past 20 years grow beyond and, and found well, entire new businesses so, itself. Right. And we're in, in the growing pains of that. And this sort of thing had to happen for, I, I really believe that like this sort of thing has to happen in order to push the consciousness towards, oh, right, I do need to protect myself. And again, that study came out last week that said something like 35% of Americans have changed their privacy settings and their behavior online based on the Snowden leaks. Right. And it's, it's a weird generational thing, you know. 30 years from now, the people running those companies will have grown up in this digital age. There'll be yeah. new things They'll out be there. Natives. But exactly. Yeah. And it'll be less of a problem. We're more aware, but it's all growing. Pains. Well, now, now a lot of the people running those departments, I mean, running those departments are my age or older, right? So they're in their early 40s to 50s and 60s, and they aren't natives. The natives are, are running the shops, though. The natives are the feet on the ground doing the work in, in a lot of cases. And um, probably the people doing the hacking. On both sides, yeah. The The other thing of note is, of course, this morning there was a paste bin, an anonymous thing posted to paste bin that threatened theater owners who yeah. ran the movie on Christmas Eve. And I think five different chains have pulled the interview. Since then, Sony Pictures canceled the release. What? Yeah. Today? Today. I think that's a bad idea. I feel like that's a bad precedent. Obviously... Right. This is way above my pay grade, and I don't even work for Sony. Right. <laughs> but as a as a country, we don't negotiate with terrorists, except for our corporate overlords. That seems do. very very risky behavior to me. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure. Here's the thing: if this was an, if this is the world's dumbest, un, you know, uh, 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 guerrilla PR campaign. Everybody's going to go on video on demand the day that they release that movie and watch the movie because they all want to know what you know. Right. I don't. That, obviously, that is not the case because it is a phenomenally destructive guerrilla PR campaign. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a very you know, yeah. It's I I end up getting really mad about it because I want it to change the cultural perception of what we need to do to keep our own data secure. I hope that it really does because. When I read stories about like, here's the funny names movie stars check into hotels with, I like, I don't give a crap about that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody else should. From the perspective, of, you know, let's say it was a North Korea, and there was a Wired story just published that says North Korea most likely did not have anything with this, with really? many of the reasons. Maybe not concrete evidence, but their deduction. Hmm. Um, but if the point of it, I, I find it hard to believe that the whole point of it was the release of this movie. I think that regardless, maybe the movie was the catalyst and the final straw, but I think that if they had access, the people, I mean, I, I think it was a bigger deal than just this movie. And wow. the movie not being released, I don't think it's going to stop the information being released. No, it won't. It won't stay because they claim to have another order of magnitude available, I mean, right? They've released 100 gigabytes. They say there's another mm-hmm. 900 gig- or terabytes of data. The report, yeah, the report that I read about the attack said basically they pulled 
over a long period of time, everything from every machine that Sony owns. Oh my God. Right, so it's, it's past and present scripts, versions of scripts, internal emails, payroll data, everything that wasn't terrible. encrypted on the hard drives. And, nope. and it seems like very little was encrypted on the hard drives. Oh my God. So I, I, mean, I don't think the public even understands, and maybe we don't either, it's the magnitude of the implications right. of, this, I mean, of that data. If I haven't been an IT guy in 15 years at this point. If I had been an IT guy and I walked into a department and every machine was compromised, the only thing you can do at that point, in the day of the modern BIOS exploits and the whole, the whole yeah. thing, you have to walk away from those machines and start from scratch. Right. And that is a, like, your backups are suspect. Everything that you have is suspect. So you have literally you have to nothing. Carefully reinstall. Re wow. You have to. You can't reinstall. You have to. You have to go get W nines from your employees, because all of your payroll stuff is suspect. Like the whole soup Man. to nuts. It's a disaster. That's like ju just that cost alone is a is enormous. And then on top of that, yeah. the the monetary losses in the stop stop work and the production and the loss of the film and all the other things Holy are, are astounding. Yeah. So it's a it's a huge deal. Even if it is about the people that make Spider-Man and Adam Sandler movies, but again, you right. know, it's like all these different companies to make all these different products. It's uh, all I can do is step, put my head back, and hope that we get better at dealing with this kind of thing, or people get better at listening to their IT departments. Well, so, so the terrifying thing is, a lot of this stuff has probably happened before, and we just didn't know about it because it was about industries that either hushed it up or didn't publicize it or, or right. whatever. Right. You, know, you hear about data breaches at credit card transaction centers and banks and things like that all the time that are obvious hard targets, and they've had more time to prepare, so they're a little more sophisticated in their responses. But you know, if they can hack the largest bank in America, anything's, anything's open. Right. That is, if I remember correctly, that is one of the key points in The Handmaid's Tale, how the ultra-conservative religious minority takes over the United States is they eliminate the banking system. Well, and without money, people stop being able to move around the country. And hmm. once they're not able to move around the country, um, it's very easy to control What's them. What's The Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale is a Margaret Atwood book. Terrific book, very, very scary science fiction book. Um, and uh, it was made into a terrible movie with uh, Miranda Richardson and Robert Duvall. Um, but the book itself is fantastic. It, it's, is it about the, like, the, the 12 Steps Toward Fascism or whatever name we want to No, you, when you get to the book, you're already in, in the United States as a fascist country and okay. you can't get out of it. Okay. Um, and it turns out that the way this was achieved was by mm. eliminating the banking system overnight. Well, I mean, that's what the Bitcoin mm. guys are trying to avoid, right? <laughs> yeah. It's and a fight club. It's right, 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 exactly. Start at ground zero and... Um, so Microsoft is accepting Bitcoin now. What? For certain transactions. Seriously. You can buy... What could possibly go wrong? Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk about blockchain-type economies being safer to use than... I mean, Kevin Kelly is a big proponent. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. My, my Bitcoin has People... only gone down in value since I bought it in April. <laughs> you still have it? I still have Wait, it. Oh, in right April? Oh, it down. South South by, South by, right? At the yes. ATM itself? Oh, oh, yes. That place is really good beer. Really? It's, it's, oh, it was it's, great. It took so long. To buy the Bitcoin. Four or five beers. It was a great afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> we watched a building get demolished across the street. It was fantastic. Have you ever watched that? I have occasionally. Like, Did you mean being imploded? Or no, being no. slowly torn apart? No, lines? it was a guy with a with an excavator with a yeah. jackhammer arm. There was a name for it, too. It had a really a badass name. 
but he, he had one of those excavators that like just punch holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was awesome. Awesome. It was a jackhammer with a post about a foot across, six inches yeah, across. Yeah, it was I've seen badass. <laughs> watching Transformers. <laughs> Play. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jamie and I have always wanted to have some gladiator battles with the large uh, hydraulic uh, industrial <sighs> machines. Huge arms. Yeah. The problem is, is that one strike probably throws them out, and you know it's very easy for things to get pear shaped very quickly. I think thumb wrestling with like auto assembling robots, like those enormous ones. Yes. That would be great. Just yeah. get a big Waldo, put your hand in there, and be like, you know, what could possibly? Yeah, go it's on? all good, right? <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, that's pretty much what I have on tech news. I thought that Microsoft taking Bitcoin was bizarre. It's fascinating. And like, I've seen other people do it. Privately held companies mostly. A lot of like computer computer sales places do it. So Microsoft must have made an assessment that it's stable enough. That's what I assume. Yeah. At the same time, Apple's not selling stuff in in Russia, in Russia. online because right. well, the, the ruble is so unsta- unstable. The toilet right now. Yeah. That can't be good. Um, so there's two sides of the same conversation. <laughs> yeah. Happening yeah. 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 There. Um, we were going to talk about your tour. Yeah, some oh, of your tour right, stuff. yes, yes, yes. Uh, what are the cool places? I know you, uh, for people who don't know, you can go on Tested and Adam's been writing blog posts. Uh, I have. Daily about the stops you've been making and the, the things you've been doing, some research projects, but any highlights, any of the... It seemed like a lot of thrift stores this a time. A lot of thrift stores. Uh, I found Omaha, Nebraska to be a fantastic little town. I love Omaha. It's Beautiful. I had a lovely time. It's got a great downtown. The people there were really nice. We spent a day and a half there. Um, the crowd was stupendous, and they have this amazing store. It's on our. It's on the blog post um, that I went and I bought this beautiful four-foot-long Indonesian dragon head carved mm. out of wood. That's gonna go into my living. room. Oh, you actually bought that? Oh, I did. That's awesome. Oh, I thought. Oh, yeah. It's just the caption said, "This is so cool." No, it's but on my realize, bus right wow. now. It's going home with me. Wow. <laughs> You're double checking the. Key. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just checking. Yeah. Don't um, ignore me. See. Um, let's see. Uh, also, we went to Canada, and the response that the Mythbusters tour gets in Canada is just stupendous. So we were in London, Ontario. We were in Montreal, uh, Toronto, uh, and uh, Windsor, Ontario. And um, let's see. Montreal was the day after Thanksgiving, so my wife and kids flew out to Montreal to meet us, and we had a wonderful day together before heading off to uh to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, we had my favorite Canadian dish, poutine, which is effectively, yeah, twice fried French fries with gravy and cheese curds. Yeah. Poutine multiple times. Oh, yeah. Several, so, yeah, several yeah. different varieties mm-hmm. of poutine. Yeah. Have you had, pork poutine. Yeah. Have you had good poutine in San Francisco? There's one place. I think I have. There's one place over in the financial district that's okay. No, no, no. The, what you really want to get is Namu. On 18th and Dolores, okay. they're gamja fries, which they only serve for lunch. Okay. Gamja fries are effectively a Korean fusion poutine. I can't, <laughs> I mean, this dish. Well, you used to Laverne and Shirley that? I just did that. You, you, your mind will be blown. You'll look at this, and it'll look like a pile of fries with some meat on it and some kewpie mayo and some kimchi and some other Korean stuff. And every bite you take is like the best thing you've ever eaten. And you don't even know how it's distributed so well. It's just... Does that qualify as poutine? Does it have curds? I don't know if it quite has curds. But if you... if I just tell you, if you sat and ate poutine and you ate the gamdra fries, they are of the they, same category. They elicit the same thing. They do. They bring up the same sort of deep comfort. Now, there's, there's a, another place called Ricky Bobby in San Francisco that does... Um, they do a fries with... Like, uh, like, pulled pork, barbecue pulled pork, buffalo sauce, and and then sour cream, and you also eat with fries. Same thing, 
But yeah. I don't know if I, and then cheese, I wouldn't call that poutine. It might get smothered fried. Right, right, yeah. right. Yes. I mean, you know, I always joke that poutine is the Canadian version of chili cheese fries. Right. Yeah, I pretty much I, prefer it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, also, comfort food, we've had um, a couple of different rounds on this tour of my, my personal favorite comfort food turns out to be tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, so... This is this has become the oh shit we don't have food in the house meal for us since, <laughs> since our daughter started eating real food because she loves dipping the sandwich in the tomato soup and it turns out I do too. Yes, man. Yeah. If, if there, I mean, doesn't need to be fancy either. It is one of the most perfect meals there is. Cheddar, though. None of that American I'm, I'm cheese. I'm agnostic. Like, I'll, I'll put gouda. In oh, there. Gruyere is Gruyere. Gruyere. I'll do uh, Cabot cheddar, like that oh, really nice, like sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do three kinds of cheese. I'll put tomato. I'll do cut up jalapeno and have avocado on that. Chive, I'm not, basil. yeah, man. I'll throw everything on that shit. So, in your tour, you visit a lot of thrift stores and weird eccentric, it says like uh, kind of the Fred Flair type stores. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of those around the country. There are. Is there a TV show where someone goes around just going to those stores? Yes. And buying the weird stuff? Like Big Fun, American Science and Surplus, yeah. Archie McPhee's. Uh, yeah. I don't know that there is. There, so someone, are, someone's going to be pitching it tomorrow. There are shows that do, no, uh, they'll be pitching it day after tomorrow because it's just an air until tomorrow. Right, yeah. right. Um, Did you go to a place in L.A.? Uh, is there a place you go to in L.A.? Because it's a place you know, I have regularly. so many friends in L.A. I'm usually occupied with social commitments here. Mm -hmm. like, um, people I have breakfast with, people I have lunch with, people I have dinner with. It's just, it's all over the place. Can I give you a recommendation? Yeah. I was just taken to, my girlfriend took me to a place called The Last Bookstore, which oh, I'd never been to. I haven't been there. Um, close to the theater here, amazing uh, art gallery slash oh, bookstore. Hmm, they have okay. something called a labyrinth of a dollar books on their second floor. Their second floor is just dollar books, but oh, built wow. out with the kind of sculptures, installations. You have a typewriter and then pages oh, nice. flying oh. out and everything. Um, so uh, here in LA, I love Giant Robot. Uh, Giant yes. Robot's great. Giant Robot's never not. There's awesome. one of those in San Francisco. Too, yeah, there right? used to be. Oh, it's gone. They closed it in the hate. Really? Yeah. Oh. They did the magazine and stuff, but then they, they closed it. Uh, I used to buy T-shirts from them. I did like, too. Like tons of like that red, the red T-shirt with the 15 different robots on it was my favorite for years and years until I um, wore it out. What else do I love in LA? There's a thrift store here um, in Santa Monica that has lots of weird like medical equipment and mm. old like Van de Graaff generators and stuff like that. I wish I could remember its name. Someone's posting it right now, I'm sure, into the comments. It's but, good. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, uh, LA is full of some great surplus stores, prop rental warehouses, costume shops. Um, I went to Deborah and Doolman's costume exhibition today, but because it's Wednesday, Great, great minds think alike, because I told Norm, hey, I'm going to go over to Lockman today and see the uh, costume so exhibit. Sad. And then they I'm were coming back in January. I'm gonna, and the, the, the exhibition's up until March. March. Yeah, March so yeah. I'm going to come back in January. Yeah. So I think it would be helpful, because we've talked about this in Still Entitled, but I don't yeah. know how much of the audience overlaps. Okay. Um, you should explain what a day on what a typical tour day is like when you're riding the bus from town to town. And right. So what we're doing, like I said, it's 26 shows in 22 cities in like 25 days. So a couple of double, double a couple, a couple of matinees. Of, yeah, some some matinees. Four in four different cities, we had matinee and evening shows. Okay. But in general, uh, it's evening show starts between seven or eight, seven seven thirty or eight o'clock, depending on the venue. The show lasts for two hours. We do a meet and greet at the end for 50 people who've bought the VIP meet and greet tickets. Um, I'm usually back on the bus by 11, 11.30. After the show, we have, there's a crew meal. So we have catering in the theater during the day. Yeah. 
um, and then uh, usually go to sleep around midnight or 1 a.m. and the bus takes off and travels usually not more than 400 miles. So That's eight hours. About Yeah, and so we're usually in another city by, it's, and often it's a lot less than that. So we're often in another city by 7 a.m. So you'll go to sleep on the bus and wake, wake up, up in, in someplace new. Yeah, and it's like I'll, I'll go to sleep in a warm climate and wake up seeing my breath or vice versa. So when you pack, are you packing like like shorts and, I mean, I, I, I don't I learned, think I've ever seen you wear I, I shorts. I way too many clothes on the first tour because okay. I learned that I, you literally need like three pairs of jeans and three t-shirts and like huh. five, six changes of underwear. There's laundry machines in every theater. Right. So you just do your laundry any day you need to. Um, and my days are pretty straightforward. Uh, I'll wake up usually around 9 or 10, uh, have a little breakfast or coffee, and head out to a thrift store. Uh, I, you know, I've got a lot of things I'm working on. Research that I'm doing for future projects, stuff for the talking room and tested, um, blog, blog posts where I've been, looking at photos and stuff like that. Finding interesting things to Finding do so the blog posts things. are good. Meanwhile... <laughs> My crew is busting their butt because they have to put up this big show with projectors and stage parts and stuff in new cities every single Assemble day. Assemble all the props. New venues. All the, yeah. New right. venues, right. And some of these stages are really big and some of them are really tiny and they have to like, it's like a tile puzzle figuring out. Sometimes we'll do a show where half of our set pieces have to sit on stage during the show because there's no room to put them backstage. That's great. <laughs> Well, that computer just disappeared. Wow, where'd it go? <laughs> Haunted. It's still recording, right? Some, uh, yes. Some, <laughs> some of the venues aren't even traditional stage venues. So. Uh, we are playing some arenas. Yeah. Uh, and Did you do it in the round? Did you see it in the middle, like Prince, or are you no, taking the I, end? Uh, and Austin City Limits was the most in the round. Okay. Austin City Limits was not only is it a legendary hall, and I haven't posted that yet, but it's a, just a beautiful hall. Um, but I think it's something like 1,800 seats to under 2,000. Um, but nobody's like more than 120 feet from you. So it's almost like you're in the Globe Theater. Mm, like wow. it's the crowd just feels like they're right on top of you. <laughs> And it's the best way, right? Because the crowd feedback you get is so immediate. Because well, normally you only get feedback from the first like ten or twenty rows of people in the in the orchestra. You, you can't you, see anybody. You got to prove to the queen that you can show love on on stage, true love and, on stage. And when you are performing in the older houses, like the 1910 and 1920 vaudeville houses, many of which throughout the country have gone through massive multi-million dollar renovations over the past 20 or 30 years. These are like years. Orpheums and Fox Theaters and stuff like that? The all the Fox Theaters, yeah, are great examples of that. They're also built acoustically to be able to hear the stage from the back of the house, which means it works the other way. So as a performer, mm. I can hear the entire crowd and there's no better no better feedback for me as a performer to be able to hear someone coughing in the back row because then I understand uh, the interaction becomes much more immediate and I really, really like that. The arenas can be very difficult on that, on that front because the whole hall just eats up the sound. Right. Right. They're, they're, they're designed for massive amps and basketball. Yeah. Um, I've actually talked to my sound guy. My sound guy in this tour is phenomenal. His name is Chris, and he's been like, I can really hear my voice through the house, which is great for modulation. Um, but one of the things we've talked about is for arenas, putting some contact mics actually out in the crowd and feeding them back to me on stage mm -hmm. so I can hear what's actually happening out there. Because it's really surprising how dead it can sound while the crowd's going crazy. Oh yeah, I, I can only, especially in the arenas. I mean, it's ba it was bad enough when we were in a movie theater two months ago. Right. And it was, you know, movie yeah, theaters Yeah, the Castro's a good example of right? one in which it's hard to hear yeah. the crowd. Unless they're really whooping it up. They, when they were very excited, you could tell, but mostly visually, not, not necessarily yeah. by hearing them. Yeah. Um, 
boy, I completely lost the train of thought there. It's gone. Um, but really, it is, like, I, like I've said in the blog posts, um, the first tour I did in 2012, I barely left the bus, and that is just a bad, bad mojo to do. Um, because you can just calcify, and you feel like your inertia becomes, that feels like a disease. Well, so the last big US tour, you brought, I know you brought a bunch of projects, both research projects that you need to spend oh, internet yeah. time. Oh my god, that project. And then you that, also that did house one project. This amazing papercraft thing. That you guys don't know Sorry. about. Did you ever finish, you never finished no, it? No, it's still sitting in exactly the state I finished, oh. I brought it to, and I still want to finish it someday, but it's not the right project to, I mean, that was a 40 or 50 hour oh. papercraft build. I, can, I we, wasn't gonna we finish can that on a tour. We did a the bit. Porco Rosso thing, which is much, much smaller, and that was still a good 10 hours, 12 did, hours. Did you see that Lego, by the way, reissued the Maersk container ship? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, really? That's yeah. beautiful, so beautiful. I've been oh. thinking about getting it. I was probably already sold out, but I'll try and get they're, it. They're, usually if they reissue stuff, they're pretty good about it. That means that they so think, oh, we can beautiful. sell it. Oh, okay. Um, are I the know, containers the same size as the- blue. They aren't the same, they can't possibly be the same size as the ones as the Maersk train set, right? No, they're, 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 I think they're, they're two by eight. Individual I think they're blocks. two by four blocks. Okay. With a separate sticker on every single one that says Maersk. <laughs> Only on the ones you I know can what I'm getting on for Christmas. Uh, it's that's display, a, that's perfectly the, that's displayable mean. too. Yeah, don't need a stand. You don't need. It's flat in the bottom for right. display. <laughs> um, so now mostly it's computer research. Um, I've been doing. I've been obsessed with Kubrick props. So there's three different Kubrick props that I've been researching. And so hold on. So you had to go to see uh, to Nor NORAD in when, Omaha. Oh, what's that? Is it NORAD in Omaha? It's um, it's uh, Central Air Command. SAC. Strategic Air Command. Oh, uh -huh. no, I didn't go there. Oh, they have the big room. You can go in the big room. I had no idea. The, the big board. Oh, you could have seen the big board. board. <laughs> the War Games board. Oh, I respect you deeply. No, no, the War Games board is different. This is, I don't think the War Games board was actually a real place. The War Games board was fake for it, but it was inspired by right, so, NORAD. So in, at, this is, Omaha, NORAD is in Colorado, I yeah, think. Yeah. And Strategic Air Command is the one in Omaha. That's where all the bombers were based out of. So you could, you, I went there in the mid 90s, late 90s with my parents, and you could go in and it was the least assuming room you've ever been in. Right. Of you know you know how when you see like mission control at NASA and it's yeah. like this is actually super cool. It looks like it should. Yeah, it looks it looks way better than the movies. This was this was Not that. like three kind of like big screen TV I've size TVs. I always wanted to visit the control weather station at Federal Express. Oh no, that would be a fun one. In, I bet they I don't let people Memphis, in there. That's it's in Memphis, main, yeah. Yeah. They have cuz what they need to know about is the weather. Yeah. That's the limiting factor. And oh, yeah. so it's like one of the more advanced weather stations wow. in the world. That's what I remember reading once a long time ago. I don't know how accurate that Let is. Let Adam know how he's wrong in the comments <laughs> below. Um, the, the guy who runs it is called The Tempest. Yeah. It's his official title. <laughs> really? No, I, 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 I love that. Does he sit in the teapot in order? Prospero, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> I will bring all the planes to me. Well, I know a FedEx guy, so maybe we can we can work on that. Let's totally do that. He comes to my house every day. He's a good guy. Um, we don't want to dive too much into the stuff we talk about on, on Still Untitled, but yeah. I do want to focus on technology. We're probably not going to get you on a podcast on this podcast before the end of the year. What are the things in technology that have affected you this year? Kind of your year. Oh, hold on. Are we doing retrospectives? We're not going to do for us. i got to play just, some retrospective just, music. Just for Adam. Technology this year. Um, what are the things you use? I mean, that's a, we get a lot of questions about people want to know what what you use to make your life easier so, or better or um, richer or whatever. You know, I'm 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 shamefully in love with my iPhone six, uh, and I brought 
on this tour, I brought out my 5D Mark III Canon SLR with all my lenses, mm -hmm. and I've barely pulled it out of the bag. Because mm. if I'm gonna head out around the day, I'd much rather have, the phone, the, the pictures my phone takes are fantastic. Is They're it? beautiful. And it's, it's, I feel bad about this. I wanna, I wanna like put my phone away for a few days and just pull out the Canon, because again, the pictures that it takes are the whole other order of gorgeous. Really, really, to yeah. To be clear. Yeah. But as far as documenting stuff as I'm going out, it's totally sufficient. Well, the old, the old yeah. truism. I know is you true. take a lot of panoramas. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and on the phone, it's gorgeous. They're 8,000 pixels wide or some, something crazy yeah. that you can get. But you don't use like lens attachments. Have you no. looked at those at all? Um, I have not. I have bought probably half a dozen different lens attachments for iPhones over the years. Hmm. I have yet to buy one for the six. Uh, the fact is, I've never seen the real need for them as I've taken the phone out into the field. If I want a wide, I do the panorama because I love the iPhone stitching. I love the fact, uh, unlike, let's say, the Fuji picks or even the Sony, which when you're doing the panorama, it still squeezes chunk, it chunk, down chunk, to chunk, be a chunk, tiny yeah. picture. Um, the iPhone panoramas can be giant yeah. and have tons of info in them, and I love that. Because it's a computer. You have all yeah. that memory. You have exactly. the... Exactly. So, um, but the, the camera attachments for wide, the only camera attachment I'd be interested in would be a really good bonafide macro. The, the macro is the thing yeah. I've always wanted. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wave had a recommendation, or your friend. Yeah. Uh, for uh, There's a Kickstarter one. It's kind of expensive. It's 100 bucks. I forget its name. But it does the, this, it corrects distortion in the attachment. So it's a really big attachment. But when you do like a fisheye or you do a wide angle, it doesn't distort. Oh, it's, it's rectilinear. Rectilinear. Oh. When, when I was at XO, I saw photos. So is that hardware and software combo? Just all on the hardware. Oh, wow. So, oh, yeah. really? Yes, it's a lot, many lenses. Yeah. Wow. That's a multi, because I have a 14 millimeter rectilinear, and that's mm -hmm. an expensive piece of glass. Yeah. So when I was at XO, the Photo JoJo people were there. Um, you know, they're based in yeah. San Francisco, and they do a bunch of phone attachment type accessories, mostly centered around photography. Uh, they actually had an E-mount for an iPhone camera. <laughs> so you put yeah, this case yeah. on. It was a ridiculous huge thing, and you clamped a lens on. So you were literally walking around with this thing, and then they they had they had a bunch of lenses for people to try and take out and go shoot and not noodle around Portland. So I, at one point, maybe for my iPhone four, I brought I bought a, a Canon adapter yeah. to fit my Canon lenses, and I put them on, and I spent a day taking photographs. And I was like, eh, it was a real weird <laughs> crop. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it was a weird crop. Yeah. Um, a couple of people on this tour, like I said, we do a meet and greet at the end of every show for 50 people and we get our photos taken and everyone brings their own cameras. A couple of people have brought out the Polaroids that print the photos immediately. Mm. The the digital Polaroids or the old school No, the film digital Polaroids. Ones. So okay. Polaroid now has a whole line of Instamatic cameras that digital print, but also you can, some of them have are wireless and will instantly upload to Instagram at the same time as they're printing out a digital sticky photo. Well, so Polaroid though is one of those companies, it's like anything you see with Kodak's name on it now is just produced by a holding company, right? I have like no they're idea. they're licensing out names. But I'm kind of excited about these Polaroid cameras. I saw a bunch of them at Urban Outfitters a few days ago. I bought some gifts for my kids there. I, I like because you don't. No one prints photos conceptually. No. So this forces yeah. you to yeah. You get a digital copy. I kind of dig that. I kind of think that's that's nifty. Mm -hmm. I, I'm getting ever closer to buying a, another. Like I haven't had a photo printer in probably ten years at this point because I got I got tired of the fact that it, like it's a tool that if you don't use it becomes useless. It, right. It is, and the, the inks dry out, etc. Right. And really, can someone please release a real four by six inch? photo printer that I can go right from my phone. That's all I want. That's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where is it, Norm? 
We'll kickstart it. Hey guys, let us know where it is in the comments below. Right. I think photo pros also uh, got a first bad rap. three posts will be something that has nothing to do with that. Then first, people talking about first, how they really like their home printer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, then there'll be a guy being like, LaserJet is much more cost effective. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, it's a little more expensive up front. Um, Doesn't look so quite like phone, a photo. Your phone is a lot. My phone's um, a lot. I've been, uh, the laser cutter was, but that's already a couple of years old. Technology. It doesn't have to be anything new. I mean, it literally is. You know, perhaps one of the most interesting things that's happened over the past couple of years is we've really stopped watching television in any meaningful sense of the word. You mean in, like over the air or uh -huh. cable or whatever? Yeah, You're watching everything's, stuff on. Everything's Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime, and it's usually on our laptops. Sometimes it's through the home system, but. Sorry, Comcast. Yeah, and and the idea that HBO Go will soon be available without basic cable, I am so on top of that. Let's ditch the dish and basic cable mm -hmm. entirely. So my, my oh, wife our, and I have realized, literally we're talking about the same thing two nights ago, because we were like, like we switched from Netflix watching Mad Men to Hulu watching The Good Wife, and I was like, why are we paying 120 bucks for Comcast every month? The only thing that I would want it for is that my wife and I love to throw parties for the Oscars and the Emmys. Mm. We love to do that. You know, those things are both our, over the we air. We have our closest friends come over and we eat chips and we dish and we watch the red carpet. There's an antenna that I can see from your backyard that broadcasts TV signals over the air into homes around the world. <laughs> You bet I can pick that up with a normal television and without you, cable? You can plug a TiVo, plug that thing into a TiVo. What? And you will get TiVo for over-the-air TV. Really? You have to have the right TiVo. I'll, I'll get the right TiVo. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's, that's not the great. problem. No, I saying. love that idea. Yeah. You know, I was I mean, also reading about the uh, Kickstarter, not a Kickstarter, um, Cory Doctorow posted about this, the local San Francisco ISP that you can get a node. Uh, yeah, the like, microwave stuff? Yeah, it's a couple, it's a couple stand, thousand bucks, but they'll the... also, when you get the node, you also, they'll build a second node in a, in a lower income neighborhood. Oh, I didn't know about uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm toying around with the idea of ditching Comcast entirely and buying into that kind of that mm. kind of network because I think that's where everything's going to go anyway. Well, so this is a completely irrelevant aside to like 99% of the audience that doesn't live in San Francisco in the Mission. But where you live, you can get some really dope internet for yeah. not a ton of money. Yeah. Um, either microwave like or fiber. I want to move towards yeah. that. Yeah. So that's our marketing campaign. Big poster. Yeah. Really dope internet. Dope. Really dope internet. <laughs> $80 a month. RDI. Right. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. No, no. I live in Pacifica, home the, of Comcast the other, and Comcast and so Comcast. The other piece of technology, and you've been doing a lot of posts on it, and we covered the uh, the DJI Inspire event. Mm -hmm. um, my DJI Inspire arrives in a couple of weeks, oh my and I'm actually very, very, very excited about this thing. Uh, I just want to see what people do with the API for the Phantom 2. I want somebody to put a thing that says, okay, I want I want computer vision on a drone so that you can put an IR strobe on top of your head when you're skiing and have the quad just follow yeah. you down the mountain. I also, I want Oculus Rift connected up 4K through the lightning bridge to the mm -hmm. Inspire connected to the wing oh, machine. Oh, yeah. I want to the be able to, I want to fly. fly through San Francisco. Can we just do that? Yes. Can we just make that all happen? Yes. We know all the right people. 15 minutes at a time. Yes. Must land, must land. I think it's nine minutes yeah. or something, right? Must land. I don't too. care. I'll take a nine minute flight. <laughs> we. You know what? We can probably, through the magic of editing, make that happen for you tomorrow. We'll just take existing footage, <laughs> no, 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 chop no. my head off, want put it, you, you in. Want, you want to control. Oh, really oh you want to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh. You want to use the... Can you imagine? You know, the I, I mean, I can tell you the bird thing was good enough on its own. If you were attached to something that was really flying, it would be amazing. Totally amazing. 
The algorithms for controlling the quad so it swooped the right way for, to go with the bird wings. That's 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 a substantial undertaking. Get on it. All right, get yes. on it. Um, so yeah, I mean, anything else from the Tory? Let's see. You, uh, do you have your ruler? Can you can we show it? Is it where you can get to it? I uh, don't. Have we'll do. It we'll, with me. It's on. It's on the. Bus. Maybe we'll do a. If you, if it's okay, maybe we'll revisit this yeah. when we're back in the shop and we'll oh, go through some of the I got some finds from thrift shops. Beautiful tools. Some beautiful old tools. Mm. It's a great place to collect. Because um, you can buy some great things. They're not that expensive. It's not a huge space because, well, you know, even in 1900, uh, tool companies were making tens of thousands of these things. Right. And so there are, a lot of them are still out there. And you, I bought a beautiful adjustable spoke shaver, um, some gorgeous little brass rulers and squares and things. It's, it's always, I mean, I, my parents loved buying antiques. So we spent a lot of time in antique stores and junk, junk, junk shops, antique stores. Yeah. Only difference is the price and the amount of crap in the aisles. It's true. Um, and we would find, like, the the difference in the tools, the evolution of the tools over a period of time was fascinating. Yeah. Because you'd see five different versions of a planer that would all be completely different designs, all work really well, and they all were produced within, like, three months by crazy inventors who lived in their basement and were like, this, I think I could sell this, and then they'd sell it. One of the things I discovered on this tour specifically was exactly what kind of antique store is my holy grail. Okay. Because, you know, you can waste a lot of time driving all the way across town to get to some t tiny little place that doesn't have a lot. Lots of quilts. Antique malls. Really? That's what you want to look for. The places where they have multiple dealers with booths that are all managed by a single person at a tilt. Those tend to be like 10,000 square foot warehouses oh. full of hundreds of thousands of separate Open pieces. Open daily. Open daily, and they're in every city. Well, and they're like consignment. Like Stuff on Valencia Street. Yeah. Oh. Stuff is a great example of those places like Stuff are available everywhere, and I found some real gems. The, the ones that I always had best luck with were the consignment places, which is the same kind of idea, maybe yeah. not quite as big, mm -hmm. but you'll have stuff from 10 or 20 different collections, yeah. and, and you'll find something. Absolutely. You'll always find something. Um, well, I think we're about out of time, but Norm, you made a guess. Uh, because I realized the one thing that we had not talked to you about since yeah. I've come out, yeah. and maybe this is the right venue oh, for no. it. Oh, no. We'll do that on the Still Untitled podcast. Okay. We'll do that on the Still Untitled podcast. It'll be up in two weeks. We're going to talk about The Force Awakens next. <sighs> Are you ready for that? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So that'll be... Cross-promotion. It's the other podcast. It's not going to be next three week's... three of us are on. <laughs> it's not going to be next week's Still Untitled, which is about Christmas. It'll be about the week after... Which is not about New Year's. It's going to be about Force Awakens oh, now. Okay. Yes. Cool. Assuming we actually do it. It may just be questions. We'll see. All right. Anyway, thank you guys for listening and supporting the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thank you. This is only a test. We've only done this once before, I think. Maybe twice. Maybe once, twice. Yeah. It was the very beginning. Yeah. I remember we did a we did a this is only a test with Adam Savage. Like, this is a, this is crazy. <laughs> um, uh, the survey is still running. Uh, if you want to help out the podcast, you can by going to podsurvey.com slash test, filling out a short survey. It will help us connect advertisers with people who want to be advertised to for those things. Uh, it takes less than five minutes. If you give them your email address, you'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Uh, and again, it's podsurvey.com slash test. Thank you. Mr. To wrap it up, yeah. what would you buy for a $100 gift card on Amazon? No thinking. Oh. It'll be right now. Uh, I, I have uh, T-shirts for my kids. Okay, T-shirts. That's great. I need more <laughs> socks. I would buy more socks. Norm? I, I You've had months asked. to I've, think I've about this. Two. Uh, one. Uh, octopus arms. <laughs> Perfect. See you guys next week. That's awesome. <laughs>